Hello, guys, and welcome to another episode of Real Talk with Benno. I am lucky enough today to be joined by former John Premiership player and Brisbane star Alan Christensen. Alan, how are you going, mate? Yeah, thanks for having me, mate. Really, really appreciate it. it took us a bit of time to uh, uh, tee it up, but we, we finally got there. No, mate, it's all, always worth the wait, I reckon, these ones. And it's dearly appreciated having you on the show. You've got an incredible story to tell, so we waste no further time. We'll get stuck in. Drafted in 2010, Geelong 2011 Premiership team. I mean, how was it ultimate success year one with such an established team? I mean, how was that? Yeah, it was pretty surreal. Um, looking back now that I'm done, uh, you sort of look look back and sort of took it for granted. Probably the list we had uh, probably should have had a little bit more success than we probably did. Uh, obviously, the boys who were able to get three Premierships, but I say like, Myself, Mitch Duncan, uh, you know Trent West. You know, there's some guys were left with one premiership. We probably had the the list where we could have kept uh, getting getting more success, and you know, probably look back now and pr- really proud of being able to jump into a side like that, what was so established and had players who played a role for a long time, and yeah, I was able to you know have an impact in that year, and yeah, tasted a ultimate success as you said so it's um something i'll never ever forget you mentioned mitch duncan then i'd, I'd be remiss not to mention he's probably my favorite player in the competition i'm by no means a geelong fan but for mitch duncan unbelievable yeah. footballer um what was what was that day like take us into it i mean it's a surreal thing to see from tv being at the game but you're in the middle of it i mean what is that day like geelong collingwood as well so massive victorian crowd what is it like yeah, it was pretty pretty crazy. Um, you know, you drive up the morning of the game, and there's a lot more traffic on the road than than usual, and just the you know the whole week's different. What they've, I think, on the main training session, there might have been five or six thousand people at training, just watching you do your thing. And then uh, one session, I remember, we had closed uh, to the public, and you know, helicopters going over the top of the. Um, training session and especially because uh, Steve Johnson dislocated his knee in the prelim and everyone was wondering is he going to get up is he not that sort of thing so there was a lot of speculation and people trying to get in and have a look so with all that hovering you know above our heads and it was yeah it, it was nuts and then you know on the Friday day before you're going through the city and I was in a car with David Wojcinski and you know he'd been uh, through it before and he just told me to soak it up and take it all in and you know yeah yeah you're driving through the city and you know there's hundreds of thousands of people just lined up and it's just yeah it's crazy and but yeah there's not really anything that can prepare you for you know what that day looks like but I guess having guys who've been there coaching staffs who've been there you know I couldn't have been any better prepared for for that day and I think it's shown the way us guys who have won our first premiership, how we performed that day. Did, you, did, you, did anyone in that week, any of the experienced guys, as you mentioned, that have been there and done that, did anyone in particular take you under that wing or just sit you down earlier in the week and be like, look, this, take it all in or enjoy it or give you any specific instructions? Not that I directly recall. I, I just remember trying to treat it as a normal week and obviously it's not, but just everyone trying to say, look, you know, you, you never know if this is going to be your last chance sort of thing. So, yeah, you just got to soak up the week, take it for what it is. 
it's what we all do when we play footy. We all want to play in grand finals. Doesn't matter if it's you know Division Three of some bush league or or it's the top league. It's 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 always the same. You know that grand final is is what you want and just trying to yeah soak it in and remember everything about that week was yeah one of my main main focus points and uh scotty you know i remember sitting me down pretty early in the week and telling me like my spot was safe and as a young guy and you know my 18th or 19th game you, you're never really sure what that sort of looks like and uh i, I was lucky enough to play a pretty strong prelim final against west coast but you never know, like, do they want to play more experience? Um, I sort of, and I, I get on, you know, he's one of my good friends now, Shannon Burns. Like, I pretty much took his spot uh, in that team. And you, you never know as a young player, do they want, uh, you know, the experienced guy in that team or are they going to go with someone like myself? So, yeah, it's always a nervous week <laughs> uh, coming to the grand final as, as a young player. But I was uh, very, very fortunate to be able to, yeah, play a role in that day. And then, obviously, so you guys go on, you achieve the ultimate success, and then for some people would think the party just goes on from there. That night, I mean, you're 19, and you've got you've just won an AFL premiership. The boys are a few crownies going around. I mean, what's that night like? But especially if you've been 19, and you're now, you've achieved it, it's starting to tick. What's that night like? Uh, the night? Um, it wasn't as big as you probably think it, <laughs> it was. I- I was like in a state of shock all, all night. I remember going, and it, it's a late, it's a very late night. Um, you know, you you win the grand final, and uh, you know, yeah, in the rooms for ages, and you're getting around your family and you know all the supporters, and you know, you don't get to speak to the players until you know last, you know, way after the game, and then we we headed to Federation Square, and then you're doing all that sort of stuff. So. You know, you're not getting to any, like, festivities till, like, after midnight. So I think we're at the tennis centre till after midnight. And then we're on a bus to Geelong at, like, 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> and I, like, oh, I'd had a couple of beers. But I, I remember just standing there uh, at one stage. And I'm like, I can't believe this is actually happening. And, yeah, I didn't want to put myself in any state where I could forget that sort of feeling. So... Yeah, it was, it's one thing I, I clearly remember. Well, I think people just expect you to go get hammered. But, um, yeah, it was completely opposite for me. Um, but, obviously, during that week, you get to celebrate and it was a bit of fun. So, yeah, <laughs> I won't uh, go too much into that. But we all know what it's like after you win a grand final. <laughs> the town of Geelong, obviously, a very tight-knit community up there. And they, they love the cattery. I mean... When you go up there, you're obviously already heroes and rock stars. But when you go up there after winning a flag, you said that week, is it, is it almost raced again? Do they, does that love for you guys just go up even further? Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. They, they love their footy. Uh, the whole town's just, you know, obsessed. And it doesn't matter if it's, you know, Geelong District Football League or the Colac League, um, even their juniors, they support, you know, all the way up um, to, the, to the Cats and, I think that's the one of the good thing about that that town is like you can always find a community. Um, if you're new to town, you know you can go to a footy club and you know find just um, your feet in the town. So it's uh, one of the great things. And yeah, we had a parade um, in in through the city. Oh, I can't even remember. It might have been the week later. And 
it was yeah it was crazy just how many people were coming out i reckon it was during school time too and there's just kids everywhere <laughs> it's like the parents just pulling their kids out of school just to you know see a few cars um go past but yeah i remember the um the family day on the sunday it was you know it was amazing to see how many people had come out and and a few of the boys had been there before and you know said you know try not to be too dusty uh it's a big day tomorrow so um you you sort of go from um trying to you know celebrate and then you're up in front of you know 20 30,000 people <laughs> trying not to spew your guts up um yeah there was a few dusty boys that that morning I remember but um yeah it was it's it's great it's great being part of that town um especially when when it's successful so you went from obviously that that town that's footy crazy spoke, and then you went off to Brisbane, which is probably a bit of the polar opposite. I mean, what was that kind of culture difference? Did you not? Was it a bit of a shock when you first went up? The difference between such a tight knit footy crazy community and then a pretty blase kind of take it or leave it footy community. Yeah, absolutely. There, um, this is nothing against Brisbane fans or whatever, but they're um, pretty fickle bunch. Um, it's whoever's going. Uh, whoever's going the best. So I think at the time when I got up there, you know, the Broncos were going pretty good. Uh, the Brisbane Roar were going pretty good. So all the crowds would go watch them and leave us with, you know, six or 7,000 people coming to <laughs> kind of watch us on a Saturday afternoon. So, uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a bit different. Uh, I'd never, I, I loved like, I loved playing at the Gabba. It was a, a great place to play. And, you know, the fans were, you know, they're diehards because, you know, a lot of them, were people who'd supported Fitzroy or supported the Brisbane Bears. So you had a real core base of fans that, you know, it was like being in uh, Geelong or in Melbourne or something like that. Uh, but in terms of off-field, yeah, a lot lot different. And I think it was a bit different for me because I went to school in Geelong as well So and played TAC Cup and all that sort of stuff. So I knew a lot of people even if um, I didn't play footy. So just not walking down the street and, you know, seeing people that you knew, you know, for the last 15 years is a bit different, but uh, it was good. I really enjoyed it. Um, yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a great place to live. And uh, it was a, it was a really good time for six years. When, cause obviously, yeah, Geelong boy, and then you, you land at the Cats, when you, when you had to request the trade and let them know that you wanted to head up North, was that difficult to do? Yeah, absolutely. Um, something something you necessarily want to do or uh you know i didn't see it coming to be honest um with uh all the gambling stuff i had going on and all that sort of you know stuff going on in my life you you know two or three weeks before like um i'm coming off the back of um a second back surgery and you know trying to get up for a semi-final against uh, north melbourne I was desperate to get up for that um, 2014 final series uh, to, you know, I'd had a surgery earlier that year, missed the first half of the year and come back and played eight or nine really good games and uh, sort of all fell to pieces at the back half of that year. Uh, and, you know, I, I don't know when that happened, like I got no intention of leaving. It's just the, the way sort of things um, unfolded after the season that it happened really quickly. and. Uh, I had to make a decision and I made it and, you know, as quick as it was and um, probably, yeah, it was pretty rash at the time. 
I don't regret it now. Even you know, if uh, you know, probably could have. Looking back, as a what was I, twenty three, uh, when I made that decision, uh, you, I sort of look back, and you know, there was some part of me that knew it was the right right call, even if the the way I went about it was quick and probably you know didn't think it through with everything that was going on. So, uh, but you know, I'm, I'm happy how it ended up. And you, you touched on the gambling there, and we'll, we'll get into that one um, now. Uh, how, did, how did you recognise that you that you had an, an issue with gambling? Like, what, was there a moment where the light bulb flipped? You went, "Fuck!" Like, I'm I've got to sort this out. Or did someone make you aware that maybe things were going down a slippery slope? Yeah, I was definitely made aware um, by um, Neil Barn, footy manager at the time, and you know a couple other people around the footy club that were concerned on how I was going and. Yeah, it was just, you know, they probably people probably always knew, but I was so good at deflecting, uh, and that's the the thing about being a gambling addict is that you'll do anything to keep you know the you know it going, and it was you know tough, you know, hearing that, and I'd never looked through my bank accounts before, and just trying to you know recognise what was going on was yeah pretty brutal. But once I worked out that I wasn't the only one going through this. And there's heaps of other AFL players and there's heaps of people in everyday life who battle the same thing. Uh, it made me be able to walk down the street a little bit easier and not be so embarrassed about, you know, having a gambling addiction because, you know, so many people go through the same thing and it's not it's not something to be embarrassed about. So, yeah. How, how, did, it, how did it come about? Was it, was it too much money with too much spare time or had punting been something you'd kind of been doing from a an earlier age, like how did it, how did it come about in your life? Um, yeah, early age, so very much around um, my, my dad and, um, you know, that side of my family. Uh, and, like, I've spoken to them about it. It's not their fault that, you know, they're able to, to control their gambling and, and all that sort of stuff. I just wasn't. But I was definitely around it for a, a long time and a uh, long part of my life. And, you know, I remember... You know, going to the races with you know the whole family and trying to you know get five bucks off dad to just you know put a like couple two fifty each way on a horse or whatever. Uh, but you know, I remember I think it was been grade four or five. You know, Maccabi Diva winning its first Melbourne Cup and saying like to people like this horse is going to win, blah blah blah, all that sort of stuff. It it doesn't make sense then, but you know, looking back and looking at habits and how I built the habit, uh, it was definitely something that I yeah, built over time and something that was probably avoidable if I removed myself from certain situations quicker. So when I went to high school, you know, me and my mates, we, we, it's ridiculous looking back at it now, but we you know, year 10, so we're 15, 16, getting the form guide out and picking a horse from every every race in the form guide and just coming back the next day and checking the results and seeing how many we'd get right. And then you're like year 11 trying to get, you know, year 12, so 18 to take our money down to the TAB when they had spare periods to put money on and shit like that. And it was just, yeah, it, it just built the habit. And then, as you said, time and money, you know, it just created you know the monster that was my gambling addiction but yeah it was no I, i'll never blame anyone else for you know what i sort of went through it was 
my decisions and and probably me and my mates like we all probably went through the same thing it's just that you know i was when we were 18 19 20 i was earning three or four times much as they were and had a lot more spare time so it's just one of those things that uh that the situation i created for myself but it doesn't really phase me anymore because i when i speak about it with them now still and i say like some of the best memories we ever created were like having a bet or at yeah. the pub or whatever like that. We just lost lost sight of why we were hanging out together. Like we're hanging out together not because we're mates. We were hanging out because we we're on the pun. Yeah. And we lost sight of our, what our friendship actually was. Was there, when you got into the AFL system, was there enough education at that time around that the gambling space and stuff for you, do you think? Oh, there, there's always room for improvement, but there's so many things, you know, players have got to get educated on. So, you know, they can only spend a certain amount of time on certain amount of things. And then you've got to play footy as well. And, you know, there's only so many hours in a week that players aren't learning about game plans or opposition and all that sort of stuff. And I understand that not everyone has an issue. You probably find that 98% of the, AFL community is fine with gambling. So it's just, especially when I was early on, like didn't really recognize the signs. And that's probably where the education needs to come in now is like noticing what the signs are and, you know, being able to have that conversation because gambling's so accepted in Australian culture that you're almost embarrassed when you sort of let that get out of the way. Yeah. I sort of liken it to, you know, someone is really struggling on the pierce and they're making a you know absolute fuck out of themselves and you know they're embarrassing themselves you know one of your best mates going mate you've you've had way too much to drink but if someone you know gets paid i don't know 500 bucks a week and you're at the pub and you're seeing putting through you know 50s and hundreds through the you know through the till people aren't going to say hey mate like I know you only get paid that amount of money. Yeah. Like, I think you need to ease up. It's almost cool to lose like heaps of money. Like, oh, I've done my balls again. Like, oh, well done, mate. Like, try and win it back tomorrow, blah, blah, blah. That sort of chat. I've been there and I, I've been the one giving blokes shit about like, go again. Come on, go again. Like, you can win it back next race. Like, I've been that person. So, yeah, it's uh, it's just the way we speak to each other. And it's just how, you know, we probably, a lot of us grow up, especially if we've grown up around around um, punting. Yeah, I think like you say that because I, I think I'm probably in a similar boat to you. I've been around punting on the horses since I can remember as a kid. Like my old man's taking me to the races every like every spring, and it's something I I love now the punt. But I think yeah, you you say that like you, you're noticing those habits, and it's, at times you do look you do look at the bank account and go Jesus, like. I've actually not had a good run here. And it, it is a fine line between being able to recognise that and go, all right, mate, maybe I need a week here to regroup and just get away from it. And then obviously, like in your case, like not being able to see, see those signs. I think you're right. Like if you are noticing that those things, that you are betting a lot or that maybe you're betting out of your means, maybe just have a, a, a bit of time away from it and regroup is definitely a good way to go about it. Um, like with the betting, obviously – we I remember hearing David Schwartz spoke on the Dylan Friends podcast about um, some of his massive wins and losses. Um, 
is is that the highs and lows that you you, you feel in the punt? Obviously, as an as a gambling addict, you might tend to to gamble a bit more than the regular the regular punter seems to. Um, first of all, like what were some of your, your massive wins and losses? And then secondly, is is that high the thing you're you're chasing, or is it just the filling in time? Yeah, definitely chasing a, a high. Uh, and the strange thing is, like, I used to get like a similar kick from like losing heaps of money as to winning. Mm. So there wasn't a huge disparity in you know winning and losing for myself. I sort of you know I, I sort of loved the feeling of putting you know a couple of grand on a horse, and if it just lost or something like that. Be like, oh, like far out, like that was that was pretty close. I'm like, oh, I'll go again, I'll go again. Um, some of like big wins, and you know, I'm sure a couple of mates will listen to this, and absolutely, yeah, I, I remember going to a, um, a TAB in Geelong one day, and I walked in with twenty bucks, and I, you know, walked out with close to ten grand in cash. Um, just yeah, going like we just every race and. I was just winning every race and, you know, it was just, you know, bananas. Um, yeah, and I, I really struggled. So last month um, around the Warnable Carnival, um, Jumps Carnival, I really struggled. That's probably, you know, a lot of gambling addicts, you know, they say, you know, oh, Spring Carnival, blah, 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 all that sort of stuff. But to me, that, that shit was just like, I don't know, that was just like dessert time. Like it wasn't when I was... It wasn't, you know, when I was doing the hard yard sort of stuff. And I just loved, um, you know, the Warnable Jumps Carnival and, and all that. And I went there with a few mates one day and the same, sort of same thing, walked in with a couple hundred. And, you know, I ended up giving a, a wad of 50 to my mate because I couldn't carry it anymore. And I, yeah. Um, I just said, mate, like, can you, my pockets, like, I'm actually, my pants are starting to split. Like, I need you to carry some cash for me. And, you know, I walked away from that day, like, close to, you know, 15 grand or something. Um, but then, like, I've had some fucking absolute stinking days. Like, um, you know, winning over the course of, like, three or four days, like, five to six grand each day. And then on a day, just blowing, like, 20 to 25 grand. Um, so, it was ups and downs. And the worst attitude I had was if I'd won heaps of money, the day before I'd, you know, I'd take out, you know, a fair few um, of the winnings. And I I know that, you know, back then that it recycled through in three or four days. So like I'd, you know, take, if I had 10 grand in the account, I'd take out six and uh, I knew that'd be back in three or four days. So the next two or three days, I'd try and bet with like the four grand and see if I could turn that into more. Um, but yeah. Didn't really work like that. I was bloody always, you know, dropping the four and then I'd be dipping into the savings again. And yeah, it was, um, yeah, it was pretty, pretty hectic looking back at it now. Yeah. And pro- it was pretty um, so, uh, so sophisticated in, in my thinking um, to try and like keep gambling every day, which um, is a, yeah, a real sign of, you know, where I was at with my addiction. Yeah. I think mean, that's, you say like punting because it is such a, when on the horses, especially, you have to do a lot of work on form and all that kind of stuff. I think once once you start going to that side, it can become a sophisticated matter, as you said, because 
by nature, punters are quite sophisticated thinkers and you have to be in that game. So you know, I can see how you'd end up taking that sophistication over into the gambling side of things. Um, you mentioned the bull, the carnival over there, obviously an incredible time. Um, for things like that, and probably to a lesser extent for yourself, the spring carnival, are you able to still watch the races or even go to the races or have you, do you just stay away from it completely now? Um, oh, I've seen like a, a couple of races just here and there, um, just they've been on yeah. or whatever. I like don't really, it doesn't really phase me anymore. I sort of just, yeah, take it for what it is. You know, if I ever see that in the horses, I just go, well, they're, they're amazing athletes. That's what they are. The horse is incredible. You know, the jockeys put themselves through so much and, uh, you know, trainers, you know, getting up at, the crack of dawn to, to train these athletes. So I just got to take that for what that is. And, uh, but especially around, you know, you know, that carnival, that jumps carnival, I just, that's just full shutdown mode for me. It's, yeah. um, it's a really, really hard time. Uh, just, yeah. Cause I know, you know, the experiences I've had there and, and all that. So I, I just really try and stay away from anything to do with anything at that time. And I even tell my mates like, like don't because they all they all still go and and all that and you know for a few years there I used to like drop out of it like our group conversation for three or four days like that's how much I'm trying to avoid it and then just get added back in at the end like you know these are the sort of things that you have to do to you know keep yourself moving forward and keep yourself happy and might seem extreme to some people and go oh what like like just don't look at it but. <laughs> It doesn't work. It just doesn't work like that because, as an addict, you're always searching for it. So, yeah, you got to put things in place to make sure you don't go back on that road. Did you, so you feel like when when you're recovering and you've just started to get like start to put in the work to get over the issue, was it the things you did then, like going getting out of the group chat and stuff like that? Now going over a few years and getting on top of it, are you able now just to? like to not be as extreme with how you avoid it and now you can kind of just check it can kind of be on or be around or you can be aware that it's going on or your mates are there and you can just keep running as per normal yeah i've definitely um it's like it's like training yourself really to sort of handle different situations in in different ways and yeah i've definitely been able to you know move past having to do that and sort of live my life and sort of just noticed that, you know, this isn't the way I, I want to live my life. So it's, there's a lot of things that come with gambling that aren't gambling related and it's everything you do. So it's, um, it's decisions you make and your mental health and trying to look after that and all that, all these kinds of things. And the reason I speak about it so openly is that, so, you know, especially men, like they just don't want to talk about it. They don't want to be embarrassed in front of their mates saying, you know, I'm really struggling with the punt. But, you know, I've had so many people message me or hit, hit us up on Instagram saying, you know, I, I struggle with the punt and I don't know how to talk to my mates. But hearing you speak about it, being able to open up to my dad about it or something like that. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, um, uh, that's the sort of thing that keeps us going. You spoke about mental health there. Did, did it ever have a... a adverse effect on your mental health was it something that began to creep it creep over into that side of things as well um not really not while i was while i was punting i 
had an unbelievable ability to just push it aside, especially when I was playing. Uh, you know, I, I could lose, you know, six or seven grand during the, the day and then be rocking up to play in front of 80,000 against Collingwood and just not even think about it. Um, it's kind of, you know, scary to, to think that how could any human just be able to brush aside, you know, losing that sort of money and mm. then try and perform it at your peak. Uh, but, you know, that's what I was able to do. It's more, it's more after, like, the anxiety and, um, you know, just being able to walk around and try and deal with what's going on in your head. But I have a real physical trait that, like, you know, I sort of get itchy and um, I get really, like, butterflies and stuff if I'm really struggling. Um, my, my, my head just feels like it's a big cloud. So I have a physical, actual physical thing happen to me when I'm, when I know uh, my body's not handling yeah, what's going on in my head. I know everyone doesn't have that, but fortunately for myself, I do. So it's just about dealing with that and noticing them signs. There's go, all right, you need to reset here. And um, if it's just flicking a message to my brothers or something like that, that, you know, this is going on, then I can sort of get back on track pretty quickly. What are the tools that you or your brothers might use to get yourself back on track if you, if you notice that you're starting to feel that way? I just talk about it. Like talking about it's the biggest thing for me. I feel like that's the same with any addiction. It's just talking about it. Um, it's, you know, it's so hard, but once you start, it's really, really rewarding and comforting and knowing that people have your back. It's, it's the most, you know, comforting it, like feeling you'll get knowing that people have your back, especially when it comes to opening yourself up to, you know, whatever addiction it is or mental health battles you're going through. And you know, the more people you, you talk to about it, uh, the, the better you feel. And like, I'll stand by that forever. You mentioned, um, punting away some cash and then going to play in front of 80,000 at the G the adrenaline you got from playing in front of 80,000 and, and massive games at your time at Geelong particularly did that the high you get from that was that were you kind of chasing something similar with the punt or were the highs similar with the punt and then playing in front of a massive crowd for the cats yeah I sort of try to I thought that was pretty pretty different uh, in terms of you know the feeling of it, punting just became like my life. So it was just yeah, it was just everything. Where footy, you know, there's something I wanted to do from a kid. And I just love being out there and and doing that. So that's sort of a, a different high. If you if you get what I mean, it's just a completely different feeling because gambling was all I did and footy was my like my outlet and, and it should have been the other way around like footy should have been my life and gambling because gambling can be an outlet for people and that's perfectly fine like when me and my brothers and everyone around us like we've never said like oh fuck gambling like it should be banned for everyone no one should do it we're very very realistic in the fact that you know people gamble and that's fine it's just like when advertisements and stuff are getting shoved down our throat, the people who aren't okay with gambling, it makes it even harder to just live your day-to-day life. You, so you mentioned the advertising. We're going to touch on that one. Um, firstly, 
I mean, we do see, we see a lot of it. I mean, even little things like going to do my footy tips tonight and they're all split by the odds. And that's how for generic punt, uh, tipsters who might not have any idea about football, they just look at the odds and go, that's how I know. So it is, it is everywhere. For one, is, is there just too much of it? And two, like, how, how would you, as someone who does struggle with it, how would you like to see it maybe moderated? Yeah, well, I think that, you know, there's way too much of it. Um, to begin with, they should only be able to talk about their product. So I'm talking about sports bet using the average game sort of stuff or Ladbrokes using Mark Wahlberg in whatever he's doing at the moment, which is rubbish yeah. regardless. Um, you should be only allowed to use your product. So if you're a gambling product, you can only talk about your gambling product. No gimmicks, no using humour, nothing like that. I think that they shouldn't be... So there's rules around using um, advertisements around sporting events. I don't think they should be allowed to gamble, uh, have advertisements around any prime time TV at all because it's all well and good saying, oh, you know, we're not advertising around, you know, tonight's game, you know, Sydney versus GWS. Mm. But for the four days leading in, there's 600,000 people watching MasterChef and they're all, they're just getting slammed with gambling ads. So, it doesn't really make a difference if you're, you're gambling around the game for yeah. four days before that. There's just been it, they just get pounded around the most watched shows in Australia. Yeah. So I, I feel like that needs to change. And if they want to gambling ads, you know, I, I honestly think they should have a time slot between twelve and like five in the at night time. Like I think they shouldn't be on TV at all. Um, sort of like your TV. You know, infomercial sort of setup, yeah. like that's when they should be because people are going to gamble. Like, but it's about normalizing gambling that we have the issue with because it's not like it's normal to have a punt, but it shouldn't be that like you're talking about footy tips getting split by odds. Like, that's how people are going to see footy tipping now. Where, you know, back in the day, I know people would go, oh, I like Fremantle's colours. Mm. I, I like that sort of thing. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's that sort of stuff that we're, we're trying to stop and, you know, pokies and that taking money out of communities and not tipping any money back in but saying they're community clubs and that sort of shit. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's not, it's not good. And it's it's ruining people's lives, and you know, there's more, you know, gambling related suicides than people would care. And if they actually got the real stats for that, which we probably never will, mm. but if we did, I think people would take it a bit more seriously. Yeah, a hundred percent. I think you spoke about the normalisation of gambling, and again, as someone myself who I love a punt and always have, but I think yeah, you speak about the normalisation of it and how a sports bet, a lad brokes, a points bet, the ads, you're right, are just about nothing. Because it's about putting the product, essentially, or not the product, but the company in the spotlight. And you're right, like it is, you just you just see sports bet eventually over and over and over again. 
I mean, for some people, yeah, it won't be an issue, but some people might go, oh, just check out what this is. And there's the slope. So I, I get your point is 100% accurate. I think we do say a lot of gambling ads that aren't gambling ads that um, yeah. do open themselves up for, for people that probably otherwise wouldn't know. Um, in terms of the AFL, obviously the AFL do benefit quite well from gambling and they've had gambling sponsors. I think Sportsbet is the official partner um, of the AFL. We're by no means ripping Sportsbet apart here. They're just probably the prime example because they are probably the yeah. number one betting company in Australia. Um, do you think the AFL probably needs to, do, just needs to be a little bit more careful about blurring that line? Yeah, absolutely. And um, I think like, AFL's got to make money. Like, I understand that. And I understood that when the Brisbane Lions were sponsored by Neds and, and that sort of stuff. Like, I've, I've been in the environment. I understand, you know, that sort of stuff. But, yeah, it, it just makes it... When you have kids, and that's a, the big thing, is kids who just understand, like, what gambling is and what it can do. And what these ads do, they make it seem funny and they make it seem like they can't lose. Mm. And that's, that's when it can be uh, really, really, you know, detrimental when you have this, uh, you know, I, I can't lose, you know, persona about you. It's just, and it's just not the way, like, and, you know, I've, like I've never, I don't know how much you gamble in that, but, you know, you probably, if you're lucky, you'd be even. Yeah. So, it, yeah. <laughs> so it's, you know, one of those things. And, you know, the AFL probably, you know, use ex-AFL players a bit too much to sort of beef up their product when it comes to gambling. And, you know, people, people are going to gamble on footy and it's fine. Um, you know, if it creates more interest for, you know, someone, then go on, like, do whatever you like. Like, I'm not going to sit here and, you know, say you can't do that and all that sort of stuff. I wasn't, I, you know, at times I was pretty disappointed with Brisbane about what happened with the, the Ned's um, sponsorship. And, um, you know, especially now, like, they're a top four team in the league and there'd be no shortage of people who want to sponsor them. So, yeah, you know, I've, you know, I've made it quite known to them, especially over the last 12 months. Like, they've had a couple of things, you know, saying, like, guess this thing and you click into it and it just went straight to the Ned's website on Instagram. I'm like, well, you know, you know, 12 year olds have Instagram. Yeah. So yeah. Like, and you're just giving them direct access to that, the page, like, um, and you know, just, uh, I don't think they've got it now, but, um, yeah, I brought up with them that Roy, their mascot, the lion had Ned's on the jumper. I'm like, this is like, he's for kid. Yeah. So that's the sort of stuff that, uh, you know, just wanted to make known to them that I didn't think was, you know, appropriate. Um, so, yeah, it's, I understand there's a lot of teams that are sponsored by gambling companies and, and that, and it's probably worse in the NRL because they're plastered across the front of their jumper. And yeah. They're, they're huge. I, I, I look at the Gold Coast Titans jumper. Uh, and the Neds is massive, and it just stands out on the. <laughs> yeah, so like that sort of stuff. I just go, what the? What are you thinking? Like, yeah. why do you think this looks good? Like, but anyway, like there's if more people like 
and there's a there's a massive community out there of people who do what I do and probably do it a lot more effectively than you know than we do out there um sort of grassroots level you know fighting the fight and yeah it's just we just want to make sure our next gen because we're not worried about us like i'm already fucked so (laughs) i've lost my money (laughs) so but it's um it's the it's the kids like the kids now the next generation growing up and just understanding that you know you can lose uh, yeah, you you very rarely win. Yeah, exactly right. As you said, it it's it's almost like for for me personally, I think punting it's not about necessarily winning money, because yeah, yeah, I mean if you're going with that attitude, you, like it's built so you don't. It's just yeah. about having a bit of fun. I think yeah, it's about finding a balance, making sure people aren't going there with unrealistic expectations. Um, you mentioned there that you spoke to Brisbane about some of their advertising with Neds. When you say that, do you mean you spoke directly to the club? And if so, what, what were those conversations like? Oh, that was just like, you know, I'm a gambling addict. <laughs> like, <laughs> it, it was as simple as that. Um, and I understood uh, really early on, like, you know, we were probably the, one of the worst teams that's ever played football in 2016. We were, like, we were ordinary. Um, I think we averaged 131 points against, which is just ludicrous. <laughs> um, and... You know, we just had a major sponsor um, go broke and, you know, they're chasing whatever money they can get. And they spoke to me about it and I said, I understand it's a business. Just understand that, you know, there might come a time where, you know, on the walls there's, uh, you know, all the Ned's logos. Like, there's going to be times I'm not going down there. Like, And if that's before a team... You know, that's a team warm-up. And if I don't feel comfortable, like, then... that, But they were okay with that. They understood my situation. I understood theirs. It's just... Yeah, I was just really careful with the the stuff around the kids. Yeah. Um, and I only brought her up a few times about, you know, what's going on, like, with the Ned's sponsorship. Um, yeah. I probably could be a bit more vocal about it now. I probably should be, uh, you know. That's just not the way life's going at the moment. It's just, it can, it takes its toll, like trying to fight, you know, when 98% of the people, you know, are, are okay with, yeah with gambling. So yeah, you're fighting like, oh, you know, shut up, mate. Like just because yeah. you couldn't handle it, that sort of stuff. And you're like, oh yeah, cool. Yeah, so, nah, yeah. it would be, it would be deflating when not everyone understands the, the situation. Yeah. You've spoken about some of the work that you and your brothers are doing. I want to get into that, Addicted to the Game. Do you want to explain to us what that is and the work you guys are doing? Yeah, so we, um, I was at a festival um, called Big Sound and I was doing a, a talk for these artists who I thought were just artists and uh, I was talking about my gambling and that, you know, it's sort of similar things that musicians and professional athletes go through. And it was the first time publicly I'd opened up about my gambling in front of like other people, like all my friends and family knew, like it was like no biggie. Like I'd talk about it openly with everyone, but I hadn't really spoke about it with strangers before in that sort of forum. And I remember leaving after and I had a journalist come up to me and 
she um, was like, oh, let us know if you want to talk about this. I'd love to do your story. I'm like, oh, look, I, I'm just happy like, to just do it like this. And then I, I remember getting a couple of emails and they weren't threatening, but I, I didn't like her fucking tone at all, <laughs> um, to be honest. It was like, you know, now that it's out there in the public forum, like anyone can use your words in any way they want. And I was like, well, jeez, geez. Like, like, this is my story. Like, this isn't your story to tell. So that's when, you know, me and my brothers sort of come up with the idea, you know, like, do you want to start, a, like, a podcast? And, you know, I got, full, like, a club. Um, Brisbane were, like, yeah, fully on board with it. And then, yeah, we sort of, I don't know how I come up with the name. I just sort of was doodling around and sort of come up with that. And then the club just let me use their their stuff um, to to get into it, and yeah, it was it was pretty cool, like being able to to do that. And we sort of fell in love with it, um, you know, just being able to talk. You know, we talk a lot of we talk putrid stuff sometimes, but uh, <laughs> yeah, our main message is like if we're sitting, you know, just sitting at the pub having you know five or six beers and just chilling and. Know, talking about what we're going through really so we try and break that down that stigma around talking about your mental health and you know if you're struggling with gambling or alcohol or drugs or eating too much or you know you're shopping online shopping too much like we just want to break down that sort of conversation and you know we you know life got a bit busy after um footy finished for me and you know we're sort of getting back into it again at the moment but we've been really lucky to speak to you know some great great people and you know in you know a few weeks we're going to have a few olympians go off to the um off to tokyo and you know it's been unbelievable to hear their story you know katrina bissett who's you know 800 meter record holder for australia is gonna you know hopefully go over there and you know dominate and dane bird smith during the walk and you know, hearing their stories about how they battled and like, like hearing, especially Katrina, like if there's one, you know, interview, you probably should listen to her and Simone Brick about how they battled, you know, even just what they should look like. It's, um, yeah, it's eye opening, that, that sort of stuff. And now seeing where she is now and where they both are now, it's pretty crazy, pretty hectic that people can go through these ups and downs. And we'll, we'll make sure to chuck uh, your podcast link into the show notes, especially with those, that episode there that you mentioned, because I, I was having to listen um, in the latest to a few apps. And yeah, I think some of the stuff you guys are doing is stuff that we probably don't get mainstream media wise. And I, I was loving it. And I think that was in your next question is, do you think that that sort of discussion around addiction of all sorts, as you mentioned, is that something that should one day, or obviously it should, but do you think it's something that could move its way into mainstream media? and off maybe just the podcast stage? Yeah, we'll, we'll see. We, um, you know, we're, we're all over the country at the moment um, trying to, you know, just do our normal jobs now. <laughs> um, yeah, but, yeah, it's something that we definitely want to keep trying to build up and trying to, you know, make something that, you know, maybe one day that we can, maybe not a show, but, like, you know, something we can take around to schools and yeah. take around to um you know businesses around australia and um 
you know, just make it known that, you know, these, these things happen, but we're just three blokes, you know, we've all made mistakes. Like it's, it's, it's okay to, you know, make a mistake every now and again. It's just the way you bounce back from it and how you learn from it and how that's what, you know, we're trying to do. Yeah, too. And that's spot on. It's great stuff, mate. It's stuff that, as you said, everyone has their vice, whether it's addiction or it could be anything. Everyone has their vice. I think you guys are doing a really good job of breaking that down and breaking the stigma around that. Um, what What's on the on the plate for you going forward, mate? What's the What's the future looking like? How are things going now? What do, what's Alan Christensen's life looking like at the moment? Um, so what am I doing? Well, I'm down at, um, in Hobart um, playing at Lauderdale which is, uh, yeah, it's been good. I can't stay on the park at the moment. It's destroying my life. I just keep getting <laughs> injured. Um, but it's been good. I, I really opened myself up to the coaching side of things, which I, I, I'm really enjoying. And probably something I built up, you know, especially last year when during COVID, you know, the senior group and the reserves group, we weren't really allowed to be around each other. So I, I probably took a step up in my coaching and my development uh, last year, you know, really looking after those young boys and trying to make sure they're okay and, you know, their well-being is good and, and all that. But, yeah, I'm just doing some Aboriginal education work at a couple of schools and just trying to, you know, especially down here in, in Tassie where the history is not that great um, when it comes to Aboriginal people, just trying to build them up to be proud Indigenous um, men and women and you know make them leaders in the future and being proud of who they are and you know you don't get paid like I was when you're playing footy but it's it's probably more rewarding than anything I've ever done awesome stuff mate. that's awesome to hear that's all I've got for you mate it's been an absolute pleasure chatting and getting to hear your story it's an incredible one at that and you're doing some great work mate so thank you so much I appreciate it mate thanks for having me Crazy, thank you.